Welcome to the Tech Policy Podcast. I'm Corbin Barthold. Our guest today is Jane Horvath, Apple's Chief Privacy Officer. She's here to discuss Apple's new measures to combat the spread of child pornography, now typically called child sexual abuse material, or CSAM. Apple announced its intention to place these features in its next operating system, iOS 15, a couple weeks ago. The plan is attracting a lot of scrutiny and sparking debate in the privacy community, in the broader tech world, and beyond. It is also reportedly spurring quite a bit of internal discussion over at Apple itself. It's not surprising that the plan is attracting a lot of attention, since it sits at the intersection of at least three important issues. First, a pressing moral and social problem, the scourge of child sexual exploitation. Second, a widely held and strongly defended, but sometimes elusive value, privacy. And third, a major civilizational trend, technological progress. Here meaning some big, bold advances that Apple says enable its new features. There are three features that Apple is introducing. One of them is new search guidance centered around child sexual abuse material. In a nutshell, Apple will be providing resources to those who use Search or Siri to ask how to report CSAM. And uh, I believe it's warnings or guidance to those who seem to be seeking CSAM. I don't think this feature has sparked much, if any, controversy. The other two features are going to be our focus today. Jane is going to talk about them in detail, so I will only provide a brief introduction. There's a messaging feature which will seek to flag sexually explicit images sent to or from children's accounts and to discourage children from sending or receiving them. And then there's an iCloud scanning feature, which will use image hashes to identify and report iCloud accounts that contain collections of known child sexual abuse material. So Jane, with that out of the way, I'm excited to have you here. Thank you so much for hosting me. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, Why don't we start with the iCloud stuff? Um, I liked the way that Joanna Stern over at the Wall Street Journal put this question to your colleague, uh, Craig Federighi. Um, In the simplest terms possible, she said, how is Apple looking for child pornography on iPhones? And Craig immediately begged to differ about the notion that Apple is searching on iPhones. So, uh, you know, please explain. Sure, sure. Um, So just to back up, um, you know, we, as we were looking at these child safety features, we thought that it was very, very important to put in place features in a child-friendly way of doing things. And so really this feature that we're talking about involves iCloud. And as Craig said, when she said, are you scanning everyone's device for CSAM? He said, no. We are actually, this is to be clear, and I wanna reiterate this, this feature is only matching known CSAM with images that are going from the device to be stored on our servers in iCloud photos. And could you just walk us quickly through, uh, you know, it's unfair to even say quickly because it is kind of a complex process, but the, 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 the creation of the hashes, the checking of the hashes, you know, the, the, the creation of the safety voucher, could you just give us a brief sort of nuts and bolts? Sure. So um, 
uh, we've, we've launched this new technology that's going to allow Apple to detect collections of known CSAM images stored in iCloud photos. So this is going to allow Apple to provide actionable information to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children called NICMIC. And NICMIC acts, and it's legally authorized to act, as a comprehensive reporting center for CSAM and works in collaboration with law, for, law enforcement agencies across the US. So our method of detecting known CSAM is designed with user privacy in mind. Instead of scamming, scanning images in the cloud, which is what most other cloud providers are doing right now, the system uses a hybrid client server approach where the device, is going, the device will generate an unreadable hash match result to send to the server by using a database of known CSAM image hashes um, provided by NICMIC. And I, I'll go into it a little bit further right now because um, the, the hashes will come not only from NICMIC, but they will be an intersection of the NICMIC database of known CSAM and another third-party child safety organization uh, that we haven't identified yet. So it will be the intersection. So those known CSAM images have to appear in both databases in order to be part of the image collection that will be matched against photos that are going up to iCloud. Um, the database has been transferred transformed, this database, this intersection, has been transformed formed by Apple into an unreadable set of hashes, which is securely stored on users' devices as part of the operating system. Um, some have asked whether parents' bathtub photos and the like would be identified. So I just want to stress that these are a set of hashes that are widely disseminated CSAM photos um, that NICMIC and this other child safety organization have acquired and verified. And photos that parents take of their family would not be present in this set, and therefore the feature would not detect them. Um, the hashing technology called Neural Hash analyzes an image and converts it into a unique number specific to that image. So it's, it's a set of ones and zeros. The main purpose of the hash is to ensure that the identical and visually similar images result in the same hash. So that would be, for example, a color photo that is also, that is in black and white. Those would have the same neural hash. Um, and uh, uh, so this is not content detection, computer vision or optical scanning or other terms that we've seen seen put in you know, publicly on Twitter or in blog posts. It's called perceptual hashing and it's about image similarity. Jane, can I dive in with a question? Sure, so, absolutely. Um, I know that's a lot, it's complicated. Yeah, and there, I, I, you know, it may feel like I'm kind of picking at things at random just because there's so much to unpack here and talk about. But one thing that immediately comes to my mind is so the hashes, the hash database is going directly on to the on-device OS. Is that an attack vector? I mean, so if somebody is um, looking to spread uh, CSAM, is what would it take for them to access the hashes? And if they were able to access it, would that give them enough insight to be able to sort of beat the system? 
We feel very confident that we've designed it so that would not be a vector. And in fact, the same set of images will be rolled out universally on the operating system. Well, and so what is new technologically? Like what is enabling you to implement the system in this way now and not before? I, it's just technical development. It's not necessarily that, that there, you know, the technology wasn't there, now the technology's there. It, this is something that working within Apple, um, you know, with cryptographers, privacy engineers, engineers, security engineers, we have come up with a process that we think is better from a privacy perspective. So let for alternative, the two alternatives here were to do nothing, which we didn't think was the right thing to do. The other alternative is to decrypt every photo stored in iCloud and match it against photo DNA. And I wanna be clear, we don't decrypt, nor do we process iCloud images. So that would have been something that we didn't think was the right thing to do. Here, as the image is being uploaded, it will be matched against this neural hash and uh, it will be hashed and then matched to see if it matches the neural hash. And then it will be assigned a value as to whether it, it is a match or not a match. And then it will go up to iCloud hashed. So Apple won't learn anything until it reaches a, a threshold value of images that match and then at that point, once it's reached the threshold, which um, at this point we've said is around 30, but that could change, then it will decrypt, the thumbnails will be then examined of those matching images by human reviewers to ensure that they are indeed CSAM and then reported to NCMEC. So what's different is we're not flipping through and looking through and decrypting every image here, it's a process that is matching and only the known matched images are being unwrapped and looked at by human reviewers. Yeah, so to, to be clear, I mean, I, a lot of other uh, firms in the tech world are scanning on um, their side of things. You know, you upload, if you mm -hmm. share a photo on Facebook, that thing gets scanned. That's always, I don't know about always, it's long been the case. Um, and so do I have it right that in Apple so, take, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I know what you're, where you're getting at. And I just wanted to add one other thing that is vastly different from photo D, DNA. So the matching process that we're using is powered by a cryptographic technology called private set intersection. Uh, PSI for short, which determines if there's a match without actually revealing the result. So PSI allows later server processing. And that's what's important here. It requires server processing. This isn't just a device side processing. So it, it allows later server processing to allow Apple to learn matches to known CSAM images hashes without Apple learning anything about image hashes that don't match known CSAM. And PSI also protects the match result from being learned without the server processing step. So this is, I think, what's gotten a little bit lost in the conversation. Everybody says 
Apple is scanning the device, but this is a two-step process. There's something on the device as an image is being, it has to be an image that's going to iCloud Photos. And then there's a server side process as well. Yeah, so just to be clear in a, another of the like in the simplest possible terms type questions. So that's the selling point that Apple, you know, because there's been so much concern about the fact that there's client side activity going on. But the to Apple, that's part of the selling point because you're separating out the process with the hash list on the operating system. And, and maybe you have to repeat yourself here, but to just clarify, what is the benefit there in separating it out? Um, well, the system's very accurate and it has a very extremely low error rate of less than one in a trillion account, uh, account per year. And um, it's in a statement at the account level of the error rate and about the system overall. Um, and we arrived at that one trillion, you know, error rate of less than one trillion by taking a conservative estimate of the false positive rate for neural hash in tuning the threshold to where we estimate that the manual review will incorrectly review an account at a rate of one in one trillion account per year. Owing to the manual review process, we then expect zero incorrect reports to NICBIC. But just to um, back up, like where does the having the system separated out as between the on-device part and the cloud part fit into that part that you just said of, of the accuracy? Like what's the gain I, I mean, from keeping it separate? It's, well, I mean, it's part of the, the images are decrypted on the device. As they go up to iCloud, they're encrypted. We've always had them encrypted. Mm. So the decrypted, the process of on-device hashing and matching occurs there. So we don't have to decrypt in the cloud. And that is the difference. And it's significantly more privacy preserving than iCloud, than cloud-based scanning as it doesn't involve scanning whole libraries on the server. And it only reports users who have a collection of known CSAM stored in iCloud photos. Got it. So to go back to this one in a trillion figure, so Matthew Green at Johns Hopkins and Alex Stamos at Stanford, you know, they had a piece in the New York Times and they said, you know, Apple should refrain from using these technologies until we sort of the research community can better study them and, and understand the risks. So, you know, what do you have to say to them? Um, you know, are they just kind of kind of have to take your word for the one in a trillion figure? Well, we did release a white paper um, mm -hmm. that was uh, written by a, 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 crypt, a cryptographer. We are very much interfacing with the security community. On Friday, Eric Neunschwander and Yvonne Christick did a presentation at Usenet. And, um, and you know, we will continue to talk more deeply about this technology. So I have a question that may reveal my ignorance, but if I am confused about it, then I'm probably not the only one. So um, there's been a lot of talk about, okay, the hash list is in the operating system and the operating system is universal and that's a selling point. Mm -hmm. And I think I get it, but I, I'm, help me understand this. So China says, you know, put tank man on the global hash list and then just start checking for it just on devices in China. Is that, and you know, turn the threshold down. So it's not 30 images. It's now one image. If you hit the tank man hash, you know, it triggers. Is that possible? And is the idea just that for Apple to do that, 
it couldn't do it secretly now. Other people would know about it. And just sort of the reputational cost of doing it now would be so high. And is, is that the benefit? Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, I just also want to be very, very clear. This is being launched. It was announced. It is a U.S. only feature right now. So we are not launching in the rest of the world right now. So this is a U.S. feature. So your hypothetical about the Chinese doesn't apply here. Um, but, you know, I, I wanted to point out the intersection. Uh, so the data, the hashes come from these child safety or it's the intersection of NICMIC and another child safety organization. And then they are they go directly onto into the operating system. So if we're looking at the attack an attack by a government entity, they would need to inject images into both the NICMIC database and the third party child sexual child safety organization, excuse me, child safety organizations database. So there is an intersection. Then they would have to either lawfully order us to reduce the threshold or they'd have to inject enough images to meet the threshold. So this attack seems there are a lot of technical protections that are put in place. At least right now, we're looking at only a U.S. launch um, that feel that that I think would be very, very difficult for the U.S. government to go, number one, to NICMIC, then to the offshore child safety organization to inject the images. And then they would also have to order the human reviewers at Apple to look for the images that are actually not CSAM when those human reviewers are trained to look for CSAM. So, but everything you've said, so there's high a high level of technical security is kind of what yes. I take to everything that's been said there. But yes. so if I buy an iPhone in India, is the hash list in that operating system on that device as well, just sort of sitting there? It's in the operating system, yes, but it's inactive. The feature doesn't work. We can't turn it on just like uh, it is a U.S. feature. So I feel like it kind of circles back to my question then of, of the technical security may be high, but as a matter of human will, what is to stop China from just saying, put this hash in your list and start scanning for it? Um, is it because simply a matter of Apple's just not going to do that? It's it's not our list. The list comes from NICMIC and another child safety organization. It isn't our list. It's not stored in the cloud so we could then inject an image in via the cloud. And if we were to do that, that would be very noticeable because the images are all stored within the operating system. To make an update to that image list would require a universal software update. Okay, but so I see, so so there is a degree, I mean, obviously, even if we were to go to uh, like say the case of the 2015 San Bernardino shooter, like it's possible for Apple to do all kinds of things. So the fact that you create a capability isn't in and of itself like, um, necessarily problematic, but the, the, the point does stand in. I mean, you're absolutely right. The San Bernardino is a very good analogy because in San Bernardino, we never said we couldn't build that operating system. We said we wouldn't because it would impact every single user user's iPhone. And it's very similar here. We will not build technology that is something other than the CSAM scanning. And we yeah, push so that. 
that was gonna, that's where I was headed of, of just mm-hmm. saying, so to the people who are saying, oh, you know, you're creating a capability, like kind of like you've loaded the gun and now just laying around for a government to pick it up. Am I hearing you right that kind of what you're saying is, well, no, because we've taken steps to sort of tie ourselves to the mast and commit to specifically this CSAM list and so on. And and there is a degree of there's there's like there's only so much you can do to stop other governments from ordering you to do X, Y, and Z. I mean, do I understand that correctly? Yeah, you do. And I also just want to point out like cloud-based scanning, the other cloud companies are doing cloud-based scanning. That's a lot easier from an attack standpoint to ask one of these companies that's scanning imagery um, to just scan for something else. So this is so complicated it, it requires a three a two-prong attack that essentially what they would be ordering is for us to create something completely new because modifying this one is not easy from uh from a technical standpoint it requires a software update okay so do, I, that's an interesting point i want to just home in on it a bit because there's a lot of talk about well now Apple has built the capability and all that needs to happen is they need to make a small change to the parameters of the system. And so could you just talk directly to that point? You kind of started, but is this something where if a court and anywhere just, or a government told you to change it, it's not a simple matter of, to use a, a, a figure of speech, like turning a dial, it's actually rejiggering the whole apparatus. Yes. And including a software update, mm-hmm. and uh, and so it it isn't a matter of just oh you know put this image in on so someone's device because number one it the the it's a universal list we have no way of an inject of injecting a search on a particular individual's device either so this is you know it's a theoretical attack but. We, re- we don't feel like we've moved anywhere. We could have done, I mean, theoretically, someone could have ordered us to do something like this before we launched these CSAM protections. They're literally, it's, it's a comparison of neural hashes of your photos that are going up to the photo library against that intersection of a database. So. If the, the technology of the system requires there be an intersection between NICMIC's database and the third party's database of images that are then placed into the operating system. So in the United States, um, I do think Apple remains on quite strong ground as a matter of uh, Fourth Amendment law. Um, the next time the FBI asks, you know, gets a warrant and basically asks Apple to help it out under the All Writs Act. Um, I'm not sure anything is really all that much different from what it was, say, during the San Bernardino case. The one element of that law that does catch my eye is some courts look to the reasonableness of the burden on the party being targeted for the for the writ. And uh, at the risk of of asking you to basically repeat yourself. So, I mean, once again, like you're going to, you, Apple, are going to be able to say this is actually burdensome for us to switch everything in order to be Absolutely. able to search for Absolutely. a specific image. We would have to redesign the system to allow us to inject images. We would have to then 
deploy all of those in images into a software update. And then we would have to retrain our human reviewers who are trained to look for CSAM. I mean, there is that one final human review because uh, bear in mind when, uh, when it reaches a threshold, we then send the matching images to human review to make sure that the matching images are indeed CSAM. That's why we expect to have almost, if not none, uh, it's, you know, it's an error rate of one in one trillion account per year. We believe we will have zero false reports to ZICMIC, NICMIC. So I won't be surprised if if you just kind of have no answer, but I mean, is this going to be able, this feature going to be able to fit into a larger strategy for Apple in responding to government attempts to erode encryption rights, you know, in Europe or Canada, or is it kind of just independent? No, and and we don't believe that this in any way has done eroded encryption. And I want to be very clear that we remain hugely committed to encryption. Um, it is a, it, you know, it's privacy is a value at Apple. Encryption is incredibly important. And we don't believe that this in any way impacts uh, encryption or our commitment to encryption. Uh, I was almost saying, do you think it might be a chip you can play to sort of strengthen the case for like encrypting the entire cloud or, or um, I mean, are we going to be seeing this trotted out as a reason uh, you know, in Apple's efforts to promote encryption. I, that wasn't why we, we created this. This was not a alternative to encryption. We were really looking at a privacy friendly way. I, again, I can go back. We had three choices, do nothing, which we didn't think was okay. Open up the cloud. So we would have to decrypt every single photo and look, look through for known CSAM or this, where we felt like it was the least privacy intrusive manner to do something that we feel like is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And I will say before turning over to the messaging, I, I do appreciate, you know, and I saw Alex Stamos say this as well. It is important not to just do nothing but criticize, you know, the Apple's doing something against CSAM and, you know, so props to you guys for that. I, I hope that doesn't get lost in the larger conversation. Um, but yeah, let's turn to the messaging feature. Sure. Um, so perhaps you could explain it and then maybe we can briefly go through some of the concerns that have been raised and, uh, and your response. Sure, happy to. So um, we, uh, we, the feature is called communication safety in messages. And so the message app will add new tools for account setup as families in iCloud. So family sharing is a feature in which parents can set up accounts for their under, for their under 13 year old. Um, under COPPA, a 12 year old actually could not be, a 12 and under couldn't be on the platform uh, without parental consent. So the parent actually has to set up the feature, I mean, set up an Apple ID for the under 12. So, um, and you can add for families up to, uh, I think it's five other people. And so this new communication safety feature is part of screen time restrictions. So for parents or guardians who opt in, the new feature will provide tools to warn children and their parents when receiving or sending sexually explicit photos. 
The feature uses on-device machine learning to identify images and messages, both being sent and received that are sexually explicit. So this is different from, entirely different from our CSAM detection. They are two different features. They use different, a, a different algorithm entirely. Um, and in that this is about sexually explicit material more generally. And very importantly, there's no reporting to Apple or law enforcement. This is a, a feature that is for parents and their children. So when receiving this type of content, um, the photo will come in, it will either, if it's, if it's coming in, the photo is going to be blurred and the child will be warned, presented with helpful resources and reassured it's okay if they don't want to view the photo. Um, the same as if the child is uh, determining that they want to send a sexually explicit photo. Um, they will uh, be warned and, um, and uh, it, if the child is under 13, meaning 12 and below, the parent can get a message if the child chooses to send the photo after, after the uh, helpful messages from um, letting them know that the photo could be sensitive. Your, your dog approves. Um, My dog does. So is this feature uh, something that Apple could have long done and now is kind of make a, making a, a policy choice to do it? Or again, is this something that sort of the technology has recently aligned to make it possible with the adequate amount of privacy and so on? This is something that we could could have done. I mean, it's, it uses on machine learning. Um, we've, we've done a lot of, we do utilize machine learning on device, a lot on device processing is one of our privacy principles where we can uh, do sensitive processing. We try to do it on device and it stays on device. And so this is just another feature that we've added to the, what we call screen time restrictions, which are our parental controls. And um, I've hectored you at length about, you know, the iCloud feature and, and what are the technical aspects that, again, my term, but, you know, forces you guys to sort of tie yourselves to the mast. Um, are there features in this as or aspects of this feature, there you go, that uh, make it so that you can resist local government pressure to change the parameters of it? I mean, what's the equivalent? Uh, I know with the iCloud, it's like, well, you'd be demanding that we update the OS for like the entire world. I mean, what kinds of measures are there here? So I, I just want to be clear, we'd have to create something entirely new. It would be a new product because this is a feature, a parental control feature in which the parent for the under 12. So if, if the child is 13 and above, it's a speed bump for the child. So the child between 13 and 17, if the parent has restrictions set on their account, can will give the child a warning that they're either about to, to receive a sexually explicit photo or send one. Nothing is reported to the parent there. But for the under 12, the parent then would get a message that the child has proceeded to do something. The parent wouldn't see the photo. The parent literally gets a message that the child has taken an action to either send or receive a photo. So this attack scenario, it's hard to imagine. Number one, 
it's built into the family feature um, of, you know, an a- Apple families. And it's, it is a machine learning algorithm that is trained to look for sexually explicit materials. So again, we're looking at Apple train your algorithm to look for something else. And then Apple, it needs to operate outside of families because remember, the person that's about to send or receive the photo gets a warning. So if this were deployed on anybody above 12, and we don't think it's capable of being done, but if it were, the person would get a warning that their parent was getting notified and they'd be like, what, you know? So this really is an on-device feature that allows the the child before they take any step, if they're under 12, gets gets an interstitial that tells them, hey, we think you're about to either receive, meaning open up a sexually explicit photo or send one. So if there were, like I've heard theories of you know, someone could lie about the age and create a child account for their spouse so they can see if their spouse is sending. My wife raised that exact hypothetical. Go ahead. Yeah. So we'll, <laughs> well, we can play this one out with you. So if your wife set you up as being under 12, the first time you tried to either send or receive a sexually explicit image, you're going to get a warning up there that says your parents are going to be notified. And you're going to be like, what? What is this? And you'll be on the phone with Apple or, you know, it's, there is a deep warning that something is very deeply wrong. And um, so it's, there is notice there. There's nothing happening in the background that someone isn't aware of. So, I mean, it's not, so you, you say it, you'd have to build a whole different product and, you know, I'm willing to accept that as far as it goes. I mean, there is a background concern though, right? I mean, there are governments right this moment who basically are looking to implement legislation that has features that are a lot like what you're in effect demonstrating can be built. You know, I have Canada in mind that they're looking for certain algorithmic filters that they will implement by law. Is there any concern, uh, you know, within Apple that we're sort of, we're providing a, uh, a roadmap for politicians to take steps? I mean, even if they're misguided in thinking that we've, that that's what we've actually done, that there's some kind of, you know, political problem. So I've been, you know, spent a lot of my career uh, uh, defending end-to-end encryption. And, uh, and, you know, there, we don't think that in any way, number one, this is not interfering with end-to-end encryption. This is at an endpoint where the photos are decrypted. Number two, we do a lot of processing on device. So your photo album is quite organized, all on device. Apple learns nothing. Like we have facial recognition algorithms on your photo album. So, um, and it syncs across an encrypted cloud. So all, all of your devices are very intelligent on what's going on in your photo album, but Apple doesn't learn anything. So let's go back to this feature it isn't reporting anything to Apple. We are learning nothing. And so again, if we go back to this, could Apple build a feature to do this? Um, maybe we would not, we'd not do it. And we've been very clear that we're not going to do it. And it would be hard to do, and it would require a software update. But the, this feature is an on just, it's on device processing. It's a feature 
of families. And, um, and so there is no slippery slope here. It's like, it's like, Hey, Apple, you need to build a whole new feature and we're just not going to do it. Well, um, one big objection that has been raised about the messaging feature is the risk that kids will be outed to their parents. Uh, you've mentioned that there is a, a, a warning. I mean, so I suppose the simple answer is, look, if uh, if an uh, 11 year old is, I, I guess, uh, disciplined enough or smart enough, you know, not to click through, then it won't happen uh, beyond that sort of simplistic thing I just said. I mean, do you have any uh, thoughts you'd care to share about that concern? I mean, the feature is designed for under 12 to, and the parent gets a notification um, that the child has sent a, is either sending or receiving an image. And so we feel like we've built the checks in there. And for the above 13, um, we're really, uh, we've, we've just made it as a, hey, you might want to think twice before sending this image. Mm -hmm. There's just different, different interests. You know, children have different developmental milestones. And we have talked to child safety experts and consulted with them on these features. Well, Jane, I've had a great time. This has been really fun and really interesting. Um, there is a degree I kind of want to just make a note on my calendar or something to re-listen re to this episode in two years, because at the end of the day, I mean, I, you're very articulate and persuasive. I think some of these questions, just time will tell how they develop. Um, but is there anything else that I have not given you a chance to talk about that, uh, you know, before we head out, you'd like to cover? No, I mean, other than the fact that we very much designed the child safety features with privacy in mind and security in mind. And, um, and you know, we are very much committed to protecting children and, uh, and committed to doing this in the way it is and not allowing any scope creep here. Great. Well, I don't think anyone in this discussion disagrees that it's a, it's a noble cause. And, um, you know, I, I look forward to seeing the discussion continue. Yeah. Just one other thing. You know, a lot of public critics are saying it's a simple change. Uh, you know, you can just change this based on a governmental demand. And I just want to reiterate that they're wrong and that it is technically difficult. And I worry that they're sending actually the wrong message to governments, that this is easy to do when in fact it is, I, I hope I made very clear today, it isn't. Well, at any rate, once again, thank you. This has been a lot of fun, Jane. I appreciate your time. Um, and uh, again, you know, we'll be watching this issue closely. Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan nonprofit think tank in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work, make a tax-deductible donation, or find other episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.